Today, our first reading is from the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. I'll be reading Jeremiah 31, verse 31 to 34. About 550 years ago, before Jesus, God, through these verses, promised a new age where his forgiveness will be complete and available to all. So Jeremiah 31, starting from verse 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Our second reading is from the New Testament book of Luke. Uh, I will be reading from chapter 17, verse 1 to 6. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And along the way, he teaches his disciples uh, and us what it means to follow him because he knows that ahead of him is suffering, rejection, and he will ultimately be killed. So Luke uh, 17, we're starting from verse 1. Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It will be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostle said to the Lord, Increase our faith, he replied. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Thank you, Susie. Uh, Lovely to hear from Susie, isn't it? Uh, She's such a blessing, uh, and you don't get to spend every Monday uh, with her, but I do uh, in our staff meeting and Uh, She just brings so much wisdom uh, and just such a godly focus. And it's it's a lovely to have seen the the Chinese ministry uh, flourish uh, and also our kids, uh, our kids' church with her involvement. Now, um, you you might know this guy on the screen, Samuel Johnson. People know him, seen him around. Uh, Most of us know him as a fun guy with a big heart. Uh, He was a gold Logie-winning actor. He portrayed Molly Meldrum about 77 years ago, uh, and he got a gold Logie, you know, a big acting award for that. 
He rode a unicycle across Australia uh, over the course of uh, you know, 365 days uh, one year, uh, and it was all to raise money for cancer research after his sister uh, had cancer, uh, and his sister tragically has since died, but he, just out of love for his sister and out of a passion for cancer research, uh, he just rode across the country. Um, as I say, he's a fun guy with a big heart. But this week, uh, I was really surprised as I heard him interviewed on television, because as he was interviewed, he was angry. Uh, he was speaking with really fierce words. And I just thought, wow, that is so out of character for this guy I know as a you know, guy with a big heart, uh, who's a fun guy. Why would Samuel Johnson, what would trigger him to speak with such ferocity? Uh, now, if you've seen the interview, you might have followed the story, and, and I'll come back to it a little bit later, but I want to say we could ask the same question about Jesus. We know that Jesus is a man with such a big heart. You know, if you followed with us from Luke chapter 1, from the birth of Jesus and seen the ministry of Jesus, he really is a man with such a capacity of love. He was known as a friend of sinners. You know, when little children came and people tried to shoo them away, he said, let them come to me. Um, he's, he puts out this beautiful invitation, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and I am humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. What a beautiful invitation uh, to people who are doing it tough. Come to me, says Jesus. And yet in this passage that Susie just read, Jesus speaks with a ferocity. I, I wonder whether you noticed it. You know, where he says, if anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better for them to have a millstone tied around their neck and to be thrown into the sea. Woe to you, says Jesus. And you just go, what, what's going on? What's triggered Jesus, this man of such love and forgiveness, to speak such fierce words. Uh, and, and what we're going to see is we're going we're to have a chance to be, have a more rounded view of Jesus today. We're actually going to have a chance to see into his big heart and understand Jesus even more, but also we'll have a chance to understand ourselves uh, as we come to consider the words of Jesus. So I want to start with those confronting words. All right, Luke chapter 17, have your Bible open. Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe, woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Now, I've got a mortar and pestle here. Has anyone got one of these at home? They're actually really heavy, like it looks small, but, you know, really heavy. And what you do is you use the pestle to kind of grind herbs and spices. Who does that at their, their house? A few of you. Most of you use a kitchen whiz or something like that, don't you? Uh, anyway, this, what this is, is a mini version uh, of a grindstone. Uh, so in the ancient world, you know, this pestle part, uh, a grindstone would have been like about 
this big, like about tall as me, you know, about this wide, 1,500 kilo kind of pestle. Uh, and you couldn't just turn it by hand yourself. You'd have to have a couple of oxen, uh, you know, turning the millstone, and you'd put your wheat in there and you grind it into flour. That's a millstone, right? And you think in the ancient world, you think, what's a really heavy object? A millstone was a really heavy object. Um, think today about, um, you know, like your, your car that you drove here in, about the same weight as a millstone. And Jesus says, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, you would be better off strapped to a millstone and thrown into the sea. You would be better off strapped to your car and thrown into the sea than to cause one of God's little ones to stumble. Now, can you hear the, the ferocity of that warning from Jesus? As I say, sometimes big-hearted people are fierce. But, uh, but as you look behind the surface, you actually see good reason. So I want to come back to Samuel Johnson for a moment. Why was he so fired up this week? Well... Uh, there's a little bit of a story behind it. See, what happened was the, there was an Elton John concert. Molly Meldrum stormed onto the stage, dropped his pants and showed his bottom to the crowd. Right? And the next day, Samuel Johnson was interviewed on television. And for Samuel Johnson, it brought back memories of that night when he won the Gold Logie. So on the night Samuel Johnson won the Gold Logie... Um, he, he was already known for his campaign for cancer. He'd already raised $1.5 million for cancer research. And as he was about to head up on the stage, he was thinking, this is a great opportunity to put cancer research on the map for everyone watching, for all these actors. Here is a great opportunity to advance cancer research in Australia. But what happened, Molly Meldrum stormed the stage grabbed the microphone, and the opportunity was lost. Uh, and Samuel Johnson was angry and grieved because he wanted to use that moment to bring good to so many and to advance cancer research, but Molly Meldrum made it all about him, uh, and he felt like he'd been robbed of that opportunity. So, so anyway, so there's whatever you make of all that, there's the backstory makes a little bit more sense, doesn't it, to why he speaks with such ferocity. Now, it's even more so the case with Jesus. So you hear Jesus speak these fierce words, but when you look behind the scenes and see what drives Jesus, it makes sense. See, Jesus' whole mission was to bring people back into a relationship with God people who had drifted away to bring them back, to bring them forgiveness. Uh, he actually summarises his mission, I have come to seek and to save the lost. Right? I didn't, he didn't come for righteous people, he came to seek and save the lost. He was acutely aware of our spiritual needs. He knew that sin had alienated people from God Worse than that, it brings us under the judgment of God and we need a saviour. Uh, and Jesus came into our world to save us from sin and its consequences. 
And at this point in Jesus' life, here's the map. Um, so we're following the journey of Jesus from Galilee down to Jerusalem. It's the final weeks of Jesus' life. So in chapter 9 of Luke's Gospel, Jesus sets his face resolutely to Jerusalem. And we follow that journey, and we're up to chapter 17. By chapter 19, he will enter Jerusalem. But Jesus resolutely walks this path, knowing that what awaits him in Jerusalem is rejection, humiliation, suffering, and ultimately death. And yet Jesus walks that path resolutely. Why? Because he knew that his death on the cross was our only hope of salvation. That there is no other way that people can be saved other than Jesus' death on the cross and us putting our faith in him. This is why Jesus is so fierce about people who would cause another person to stumble. Because Jesus' mission was all about saving people from the judgment of God, of bringing people back to God. And for someone to hinder that mission of Jesus, well, Jesus would oppose that severely. Because this is Jesus' life's work that he would be willing to die for. And woe to anyone who, who hinders another person receiving the love and forgiveness and salvation of God. Uh, it makes sense, doesn't it, when you, when you dig into it. So, what sort of thing does Jesus have in mind? What are these things that would cause another person to stumble? Well, a few things come to mind for me, and I think these are probably uh, in Jesus' mind as well. False teaching. Right? And this is what the religious teachers were doing in Jesus' day. They had the words of God but they were skewing the word of God. And they had the words of Jesus, but they were undermining the words of Jesus. They were discrediting Jesus. They were even persecuting anyone who would follow Jesus. And so Jesus comes to bring good news of salvation, but the religious leaders were opposing it and undermining that message at every turn. And that leads to the second point, and that is abusive behaviour. Uh, can cause another person to stumble, whether that's bullying, sexual abuse, intimidation, persecution. And I just want to say it is such a tragedy that there are so many stories out there in our world where abusive behaviour has become a hindrance to people experiencing the love and the forgiveness uh, of God. Another tragedy is judgmentalism and unforgiveness. Again, the religious leaders were doing this in Jesus' day. So Jesus comes embracing sinners, welcoming sinners, rejoicing when people come back to God. But the religious leaders, well, they judged people, they excluded people, they made people feel unwelcome. They were doing the opposite uh, of what Jesus was doing. And the fourth thing, I think, is wayward behaviour. That is when people who claim to be Christians persistently do things that grieve Jesus. Uh, and, you know, it's one thing to do it and then go, oh man, I, I've, I'm going to bring that to God. I'm going to ask God to deal with that, to help me change. 
But, but sometimes Christians can just become complacent about sin in their lives. And it's not just impacting us, we actually influence others. And we can lead other people astray. And that is a tragedy where my actions might be bad enough themselves, but if I'm influencing another person away from Jesus, what a tragedy that is. And so we've got to consider how does, how does my actions and my behaviour impact those around about me? And I want to say just, just a, a word to any of you who have experienced any of those things. Um, and I want to say I'm so sorry if any of those things have damaged your relationship with Jesus. Um, it is a tragedy. It grieves Jesus deeply when those things happen and hinder people coming to know him and experience his love. Can you see how grieved Jesus is about it? Can you see that that is just so opposite of what Jesus intended? He says those things are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. And he will call out false teaching, abuse, judgmentalism and anything else that will hinder someone in their relationship with God. And so I just want to encourage you, if you've experienced those things, please don't let the bad behaviour of other people get in the way of you experiencing the love and the forgiveness and the blessing of knowing the Lord Jesus. Uh, And I want to say a word to all of us here. We need to take Jesus' warning to heart for ourselves Um, So this is why sometimes you'll come along to church and you'll hear one of the leaders calling out false teaching. We're actually, identify false teaching, we'll call it out, not because we're trying to be judgmental and nitpicky, but because we care about people's eternal salvation. We actually want to stand up and oppose teaching that will lead people away from God rather than bring people towards God. Uh, The other thing the leaders of this church will call out is abuse, judgmentalism and persistent, unrepentant, wayward behaviour. And I just want to encourage us all to fiercely oppose a culture where we would cause one another to stumble Right? We are a church family, a church community, and rather than an unhealthy culture, let's create a culture of love and truth and deep forgiveness, uh, where we take sin seriously, but we're also able to forgive one another's sin. And that's what Jesus now goes on to talk about. Now, as I'm speaking today, there might be things that come to mind We may have time for questions, but if not, you can come and talk to me afterwards, by all means. So the second thing, three points today. The second one is you must forgive. Verse 3, Jesus says, So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. If they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, Repent, you must forgive. Forgive them. 
Forgiveness ought to be at the heart of God's people. It ought to be close to each one of our hearts as we pray the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Uh, With Samuel Johnson this week, the Logies incident happened seven years ago. He still cannot forgive Molly Meldrum. He said, I haven't spoken to him since and I I will never speak to him again. Uh, There's just been a, a breach of relationship that for Samuel Johnson is irreconcilable. Now at this point, Jesus pushes us in a different direction. Jesus came into our world to usher in the age of forgiveness. And this is why I got Susie to read out Jeremiah chapter 31. So around 500 year, 550 years before Jesus, God promised that a new age was coming, an age of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, an age of a change of heart in God's people. But it was an age of complete forgiveness when I'll forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. So Jesus came into our world you know, 550 years after that prophecy was made and he came into, that, into our world to fulfill that prophecy. And he would bring the age of forgiveness, not just through his actions, but through his death on the cross. Forgiveness would be made available to everyone who trusts in him. And Jesus, even as he died, he modelled what that forgiveness looked like when he prayed about those who were persecuting him, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Uh, an incredible capacity for, to forgive his enemies, uh, even as they yelled out their insults. Now, when God promises that he would not remember our sin, see that there in the, the last sentence? I will, not remember, I will remember their sins no more. I don't think it's suggesting that God is forgetful, but if we trust in Jesus, God will never count our sins against us. You will remember them. You know, there might be some things you've done that will kind of haunt you for the rest of your life. Others will remember them, uh, and there are some things that people will never let go of uh, that you've done to them. But God has forgiven them. God has washed them clean. And there won't come a day when God will throw them back at you in accusation. Trust in Jesus and there is no more price to pay. The, forgin- the, the sin is removed from you as far as the east is from the west. Now, I just want to say that is great news. Especially if you're aware of sin in your life, which we all ought to be if we're honest with ourselves, to know that it's been dealt with is just the greatest news ever. And, and, and because of that, we can actually start teaching ourselves that, yes, there is shame. I do remember what I've done. But if God's forgiven it, then I can actually move beyond it. Uh, and there can be healing found through God's forgiveness. Uh, So,
if uh, I want to say a few more things. Like this topic of forgiveness, it just feels like, wow, there's a lot I could say. There's, let me say a few things. As we embrace God's forgiveness, we're called upon to imitate God's forgiveness. Right? If your brother sins against you, rebuke them. If they repent, forgive them. If they, if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. We Christians should care about how we treat one another. We want to take sin seriously. Sin is the reason our Saviour went to the cross and, and, and suffered humiliation and ultimately death. Sin should matter to us. So if a brother or sister sins against you, Jesus says, rebuke them. But I, I want to just say at a, at a pastoral advice level, don't be quick to come to that conclusion. So it's worth asking a few questions like, am I being fair right, or am I prejudiced in my thinking about this? Um, have I rightly understood what's going on? Have I given my brother or sister the benefit of the doubt? Why don't I ask them before accusing them? Uh, am I just making a mountain out of a molehill? I, I just think all those things are, are good things to keep in mind before I speak a word of correction. But there will be times when we do need to have a gentle, loving, humble, but clear, face-to-face conversation out of love for one another. Uh, and Jesus says, if, if your brother or sister repents... Forgive. And if it happens again, forgive. We are called to be a community full of forgiveness. So I just want to clarify for us what does forgiveness mean? So let me unpack that a little bit. I think forgiveness means no personal payback. So many of the movies we watch tap into our longing for revenge, for justice. I think God has given us each a deep sense of justice, and that's a right thing, but so often we take justice into our own hands and it, be- and be- it can become skewed, it can become a very much personal vendetta that we have, and sometimes that's expressed in violence, but sometimes it's expressed just through that simmering bitterness and resentment and gossip and slander. Jesus calls on us not to take personal vengeance, but to forgive. So Romans chapter 12, do not repay anyone evil for evil, do not take revenge. Forgiveness means no personal hatred. Jesus calls on us to love our enemies to pray for those who persecute us. Forgiveness means not holding it against them. Like it says in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. And forgiveness means we leave vengeance to God. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay says the Lord. Ultimately, God will call every sin, every wrongdoing to account. Ultimately, even if not in this life, ultimately justice will be done. We can be sure of that. 
And we can trust God and be patient as we wait for his justice. That's a comfort because it means I don't have to let go of my longing for justice. That's a good longing. I know justice will be done. I just have to wait. And sometimes it's an agonising wait. And this means even if someone has hurt me and they're not sorry about them, sorry, when they're not sorry about it, I can still forgive them and leave it securely to God, for, to God to deal with it in his time. But I can let it go. Now, I just want to say a few things. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Uh, I hate that those two words, forgive and forget, sometimes get tied up too closely. God remembers our sin no more, but we can't always do that. And there are some deep hurts that will be hard to heal, some hurts that we will never truly heal from in this life. Uh, That's for the life to come. Um, We may forgive someone, but trust can take a long time to, to be restored. Yeah? And so we're not talking lightly or simplistically about these things, sometimes those wounds can take a long time to heal. Forgiveness also is not reconciliation. Um, I think reconciliation is the goal. Wouldn't that be great? You know, where there's been hurt, for it to be dealt with, and then to move on as a, in a renewed friendship. I think that's the goal, but forgiveness doesn't always lead to reconciliation because reconciliation takes two sides Uh, and so you can forgive someone and they can continue to be hostile towards you uh, and very hard to be reconciled to someone who is your enemy and who is uh, uh, who you know who remains hostile towards you so this is what uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 12 if possible as far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone. So as far as it depends on you, live at peace. You can't control what the other person will do with that. Uh, Thirdly, forgiveness doesn't mean condoning the sin. Um, I, I kind of, I get worried sometimes in the language we use. So someone comes and says, look, I'm sorry for X, Y, and Z. And I hear people say, it's okay. And and I, I just think we've got to be more helpful in our language because it's not okay uh, especially if it's a a significant hurt and so I I just think I know that sometimes it's not it's okay is shorthand in our heads but it's probably worth unpacking Uh, and that is I forgive you Uh, yes that did hurt me Um, but when we say it's okay it I just kind of think it can trivialize sin and hurt uh, and the process of forgiveness. Um, but I get what people mean, right? I get, I get that, yes, we can move forward from here. Uh, I just think it's okay doesn't, isn't all that helpful all the time. Anyway, there you go. Um, fourthly, forgiveness doesn't mean that all consequences are removed. So I can give up bitterness and grudge and hatred and yet I can still testify against that person in court. Um, if, if, you know, the person who was hurt or offended. 
uh, they still may have to answer in court and they'll certainly have to answer to God. Right? So my forgiveness doesn't mean there's no consequences for that person. Uh, so just quickly, let me come to point three and we'll see if we've got time for questions. Uh, where it talks about faith as small as a mustard seed. So the apostle says to Jesus, increase our faith. Now, why do they say that at this point? I think it's because Jesus has made such a tough call to actually forgive and, and forgive and forgive and forgive. Well, that, that is just too hard. Um, that's, that feels impossible. And so they say, increase our faith. And Jesus says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Now, I don't think Jesus intends us to go around shouting commands at mulberry trees. Um, I don't think that's his, the intention. I think the context is about forgiveness. And what he's saying is if you have the faith as small as a mustard seed, then God can give you the capacity to forgive. God can do an amazing miracle of forgiveness in your heart. Uh, if you just trust Jesus. Because ultimately, it's not about what a legend I am to forgive. It's, do I realise how much Jesus has forgiven me? If I, if I come to Jesus and trust that he has forgiven all my sin, that, that mustard seed at faith, what, what God then does is he changes our hearts by his spirit so that we are able to extend that forgiveness to others. What a miracle that is. And I'm constantly amazed at the power of God, the miraculous power of God to produce forgiveness in his people. I've seen it here in our church life, but I just look back. So we've been here for 21 years and I've, what I've been doing over the 21 years is I just notice significant moments of forgiveness that are out there in the media. Um, and every time, <clears throat> every time I chase the story through and I realise it is because of a relationship with Jesus that people are able to offer radical forgiveness. Uh, and I couldn't choose which one of the... Does anyone want to hear any of those stories? I'm not, gonna, I'm not just going to do it. Right. Yeah, which one? Layla Abdullah, yes. Yeah, so Layla Abdullah, it's just a couple of years ago. <clears throat> Let me see what... So her children were killed by a drunk driver in Western Sydney. And the outrage, you know, of the community was severe. And there was just this grief at this kind of fence where the, um, the incident occurred. That's, that's her there. And that was the next day... And she's interviewed on television and she says, I think in my heart to forgive him. But I want the court to be fair. So just this beautiful instinct of forgiveness, but also recognising that there still ought to be justice and the court will follow it through. Uh, I'm not going to hate him because that's not who we are. Right? That is not who we are as followers of Jesus. 
and just an incredible capacity to forgive. Just another, want to hear another one of these stories. Yeah. Sorry? Kitty? Yeah, Kitty Diosi um, <clears throat> was a Holocaust survivor. Uh, and so just went through the horrors of Auschwitz uh, in, as a Jewish young girl growing up in Germany, uh, or I think uh, maybe Austria or something like that, around the time World War II. And she said, I'm able to forgive everything that has ever happened to me. That shadow of anger and bitterness has finally gone. Seeing Jesus, asking him to take over the running of my life, has finally driven away the shadow of Hitler and all the evil and pain and suffering he caused. Wow. That, like, just... Isn't that extraordinary uh, forgiveness? Yeah. Now, do any of you have any questions uh, just on, on what we've been looking at today? I've got about room for about one or two questions. Yep, Tony. <coughs> yep. I'm doing the work. Well, in my head, I'm doing the work of forgiveness, um, and yet I think at times there's still been this um, this gap Thank between you. me and the person because in the times I don't think I've been willing to bear the cost of the forgiveness. There's always a cost in forgiveness, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Somebody has to pay the debt. Yeah. Um, and I think I don't, don't I don't think I've done that well at times in the past actually truly cancelled yeah. the debt. I think there's always been a hope that they would somehow seek to offer repentance yeah. or seek reconciliation. Yeah. And when that doesn't happen, there's a sense of where I might feel bitter and angry about that and yeah. question my forgiveness. Yeah. But it's made me realise that there is a cost to bear, isn't yeah. there? Yeah, a absolutely. willingness to actually be willing to forgive and not expect anything in return from that yeah. person. It's a high yeah. cost. Yeah. But and, yeah. and, and that the cost takes us to the heart of Jesus' death. So the cost of God forgiving us is that justice is done, our sin is punished, but it's through Jesus, the perfect sacrifice dying in our place. And so it's not like God just you know, hands out forgiveness without cost. It is the great, greatest cost imaginable. Uh, Jesus dying in our place. And what, you're, what you say about personal forgiveness is quite right. There's, there's a cost to personal forgiveness. And that is, there's a, there's a giving up of that bitterness, resentment. There's a vulnerability of actually opening up the possibility of relationship with this person again. And what if they do it again? What if, what if they hurt me again? Yeah, so there's, I, there is a genuine cost. This is why it's a miracle that God produces in our hearts. Uh, and, yeah, we don't want to overly simplify it, but we don't want to run away from it either. It's actually God's calling us to enter the costly action of interpersonal relationship at this point. Yeah. Thanks, thanks, Tony. Just one more comment out there. Yep, Corinne. Um, does it mean that if I don't forgive, I don't have enough faith? 
Um, does it mean if I don't forgive, I don't have enough faith? Um, look, I, I don't, again, I don't want to oversimplify it, but if, you're, if you can think of a situation where you go, I, I can't forgive that person, I do think it would be good to talk to another person about it, someone who's wise, to actually work through what's going on. Um, I think even though Jesus says you must forgive, sometimes it can take time to be able to come to that point. But, um, but I think what Jesus wants us to do is just reflect on the incredible forgiveness that he has done for us, that he has let it go, uh, all that we've done. And that, by God's Spirit, we ought to ask for a transformation of our hearts so that we can offer that same sort of forgiveness to others. Yeah. There's, there's my best answer to a, a really, yeah, challenging question. All right. Um, so we've been taken to the heart of Jesus Christ today. He came to save us at the cost of his own life. That's how much he loves us so deeply. Um, And because of his love, he fiercely opposes anyone who would get in the way of us experiencing his love and forgiveness. I want to say to you, if you're kind of investigating these things, we run a series called Life. Come along, find out more. Knowing Jesus makes an enormous difference to this life and it brings hope and security uh, as we look at the next life. We'd love you to join us in following Jesus, but come and find out more. Um, And for all of us who know and love Jesus, let's be a church community that builds one another up in truth, in love, and forgiveness. And let's keep modelling that and learning how to do that with one another by the power of Jesus and his Holy Spirit. So I'm going to pray for us. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we are so sorry for our sin, the selfish things we've done towards others, the way we have rebelled against you and resisted your will for our lives. We deserve your judgment. We want to thank you for Jesus that he came to usher in the age of forgiveness through his death on the cross. Please forgive us and please protect each one of us. Please protect our church from anyone who would lead us astray from Jesus. And please stir in our hearts a capacity to forgive. Please give us a supernatural ability to forgive so that we're a community of truth, love, and forgiveness. Please help us to shine a light to show the power of Jesus at work in our lives to bring him the the honour and glory he deserves. Amen.